Good morning, everyone. My name is Adam, and I'm so glad that you are here. Hope that you had an awesome Christmas and that your New Year's is off to a good start. I had a great time celebrating Christmas with my wife for the very first time, and we are looking forward to spending this next Christmas with another addition to our family. We're excited to say that, yes, yeah, this... This summer, we are looking uh, forward to having a baby and excited about this next chapter in our lives. And I recognize that this will be a pretty big change for me. Like, I haven't even mastered this whole being a husband thing. And so pretty soon, I'll have to figure out how to be a father. And my New Year's resolution for 2023 is to not run away from the responsibility of changing dirty diapers. Like, that might not seem like a big deal to you. But it's a big deal to me. I would rather clean up a messy bathroom than change a dirty diaper. And so I'm going to need to make some changes in my lifestyle and in my attitude in order to be the best husband and father that I can be. And maybe the start of this new year has got you thinking about some of the changes that you want to be making in your life. Maybe you're pretty big on New Year's resolutions and you're thinking, new year, new you. Others of you maybe don't do the whole New Year's resolution thing, and maybe that's because you don't want to just wait till the start of a year before making some changes. Or change is tough, and, and maybe you've been disappointed before, and you're thinking, the way that I am now is the way that I'm always going to be. And so I just want to get us thinking about this question. What does God think is possible for your new year? This is the question that Pastor Matt asked last week in the online service. So if you were watching the online service, you would have heard this question already. What does God think is possible for your new year? And if you are a Christian, God believes that change is possible for you. Not just possible for you, but change is a necessary part of the Christian life. Here at Bridgewater, we celebrate every time somebody puts their faith in Jesus for salvation. This is worth celebrating, but this is not the finish line of the Christian life. Actually, this is only the starting point for a process called sanctification. Sanctification is a pretty big word that you probably don't hear outside of church But in a practical sense, sanctification is really just the ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus. And that's a pretty high standard to reach. I mean, after all, Jesus is perfect. He didn't have any sin in his life. And so becoming more like Jesus means putting off sin in our lives. And Jesus is also the perfect example of everything that we should model after, like love, joy, peace. And so becoming more like Jesus means putting on those qualities in our lives. And this is what God has called every single Christian to do all the way up until the day that we die or Jesus comes back, whatever one comes first. And this is kind of the diagram that I put together for sanctification And as you can see, it's not a straight line from the moment of salvation up until the day of being in heaven with Jesus. And that's just a representation of reality. None of us have this perfect record of just becoming more like Jesus. We all have the low points in our lives. And maybe those are the times where you've stumbled and failed or 
The times where like your relationship with God just isn't as close as you want it to be. None of us want to go through these low points, but at the end of the day, I think what is most important is that in the big picture that we are making positive progress in the right direction. And God believes that this kind of change is possible for every Christian. God doesn't believe that this change is possible for you just because you're a really good person or you're strong in your faith or because you are such a hard worker. God believes that this is possible because if you are a Christian, then you receive the Holy Spirit at the moment that you place your faith in him. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that you can become more like Jesus. And the Christian life isn't just hard. In our own strength, the Christian life is impossible. And that is why we need the power of God working in us. And there is this church in Galatia that really missed this idea that they needed the power of God in order to become more like Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul wrote them this letter, and he just goes like teacher mode on them and asks them all these rhetorical questions in order to teach them this very important truth. So if you'd like to follow along with me, I'm in Galatians chapter 3, picking up in verse 2. We'll also have the verses up here on the screen. It says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Now, what Paul is kind of asking here is how they got saved. Whenever somebody places their faith in Jesus, they receive the Holy Spirit right there in that moment. And so when Paul is asking them how they receive the Holy Spirit, it's kind of another way of saying How did you get saved? Was it by obeying the works of the law, the Old Testament rules in your own strength, or was it by believing the message of Jesus with faith? There is a right answer to this question, and it's not by their own works and obeying the Old Testament law. They came to salvation by believing the message of Jesus through the grace of God and God working in their hearts. And this is true for all of us who have placed our faith in Jesus on the outside, it might look like we are the ones who, are made, who made a decision, but really, the only reason that we put our faith in Jesus is because God worked in our hearts first. And Paul is asking these rhetorical questions in order to set up the next question here. In verse 3, he's pretty blunt with them. He says, are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? What he's trying to show them here is there's this disconnect between the way that they view salvation and the way that they view sanctification. They would recognize that they receive salvation through the grace of God and the power of God working in their lives. But then they thought that they could become more like Jesus just by acting out the acts of the law in their own strength. And the problem here is that they were leaving the power of God and the grace of God out of this whole equation. Their whole method for trying to become more like Jesus was just to try harder, try harder. And if we're honest, I think a lot of us tend to approach God the same way. We try to become more like Jesus just in our own strength. And maybe that's the impression that you get when you come to church. 
or you listen to a message and at the end we get to the application and it might sound like if you want to be a good Christian, then you just need to do X, Y, and Z. So go home, get to work, and just try harder. And, and if that is our approach to coming to God and we leave his grace and the power of the Holy Spirit out of the equation, I think it can just leave us feeling really overwhelmed, um, really burnt out or discouraged because it's just such a heavy weight to try to carry out in our own strength. Or on the flip side, maybe you're making progress and on the outside it's like, oh yes, I'm becoming more like Jesus, but you removed the power and the grace of God from the equation and then you start to take the credit for yourself and how you got to that point. And neither of those are good. And it's also just a reality that there's, there's no way that we can change and become more like Jesus by just kind of sitting back and being passive. It's got to take some kind of effort, but it's not through our own strength. Because true change is available only through the life-transforming work of the Holy Spirit. And so how does that work? How do we experience change through the power of God? And that's what we're going to look at in Galatians chapter 5 as we get into a passage that's sometimes referred to as the fruit of the Spirit. And we'll be starting in verse 16. It says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so throughout the rest of this message, I just want to unpack this idea of walking by the Spirit. Now, first of all, walking by the Spirit is not easy. Even for those of us who've been Christians for a while, there's this battle going on inside us between walking by the Spirit and following the flesh. And if walking by the Spirit is doing what God wants us to do, walking by the flesh is just doing whatever we want to do, even when it goes against God. And Paul gets a little bit more specific here about some of the things that we do when we are just following the flesh. In verse 19, it says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, and drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So this is not an exhaustive list here of all the things that we could do that are in opposition of this, to the Spirit. You kind of get the drift that these are all things that the Bible tells us not to do. And when I read this passage, there's some things in here I'm like, ooh, yeah, that's pretty bad. I'm really glad I don't do that. And then there's some other things in there that I read that's like, ooh, yep, I've done that before or I've struggled with that. And the really scary thing with this passage is what Paul says in this last verse. He says that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is another way of referring to heaven. So in other words, Paul is saying that those who live this way 
are disqualified from going to heaven. So that raises the question, well, if I've given to a fit of rage or have envy or jealousy in my life, does that mean that I'm disqualified from heaven? And I just want to let the gravity of what Paul is saying here sink in. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so let's unpack this question by looking at what it takes to be saved. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 15, it says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. And here's the response that he's calling for. Repent and believe the good news. And that belief is in Jesus, that he is the only way to a relationship with God for the rest of eternity. But this other part here is something I think we don't talk about nearly enough. Repentance. And to repent is a complete and irreversible change of mind, heart, and actions. It's when we come to this point of recognizing that the sin in our life goes against God. And we have this, this mindset change, this attitude change where we no longer want to just follow after our sinful desires. But we have this commitment that we want to follow after the ways of God. And salvation is never through works. The, the Bible doesn't say that we have to clean up our lives before we come to Jesus but kind of the message of the Bible is when you come to Jesus, come as you are with your dirt, with your mess, with your brokenness, but don't stay that way. And anyone who has truly put their faith in Jesus and repented will have a much different life than the life that they lived before. If we skip ahead a few verses in Galatians, in verse 24, it says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. When we place our faith in Jesus for salvation, there's this identity switch. We no longer belong to the world and the ways of the world. Instead, we belong to Jesus. And when we belong to Jesus, we put to death that old version of ourselves, that version of ourselves that would just follow after our passions and our desires and all the things that go against God. And we no longer follow those things because now we are on a new path and following the ways of Jesus instead. And that shows an incredible change in our lives. Now, I believe that I got saved at a pretty young age. I was around six years old, and I don't remember the exact day or anything like that. But from the time that I was six years old to eight years old, I really doubted my salvation. And so there was a time where like every night before bed, I'd be praying to God and asking him for salvation because I was afraid that if I died, that my salvation wasn't real and that I'd spend eternity in separation from God. And that really scared me. And I just wanted some assurance to know that my salvation was real. And if I had to take a guess, I'm probably not the only one here in this room who's ever doubted their salvation. Maybe that's something that you've worked through in the past. Maybe that's something that you're even currently going through right now. And you just want that assurance to know that your salvation is real. And I think it's good to go looking for assurance. But oftentimes, I think we look for assurance in the wrong ways and in the wrong places. 
Maybe you've had a well-intentioned person try to assure you by saying, oh, no, no, wait, don't worry about it. I remember that day that you got saved. We had a conversation about Jesus, and you prayed a prayer, and it's even written down in the front of your Bible. See, see, you are saved because that day happened. And we look back on a certain day as the reference point of our salvation and just believe, like, if that moment felt real, then our salvation must be real. But that's not what the Bible teaches for finding assurance for our salvation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I'm not saying that we should be doubting our salvation all the time or being afraid that we could lose our salvation. But it is healthy to have this time of evaluating ourselves to see, like, am I really saved? Have I placed my faith in Jesus for salvation? Do I believe that he is the way to a relationship with God? And have I really repented? Have I had this change of mind, this change of attitude that has led to a change in my actions? Because the scary thing is, even if you've had that moment of praying a prayer, even if it's written down in your Bible, but your life doesn't reflect that you've ever repented or that the Holy Spirit has ever worked in your life and that you've been on that process of gradually becoming more like Jesus, then maybe you're not saved. Maybe you're still living as that old version of yourself that hasn't been changed by Jesus. And the Bible says here, that when the Holy Spirit is in somebody's life, when somebody is really changed, then there is a visible result. There is fruit from that. And that's what we're going to check out in verse 22. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. All of those virtues are the result of having the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, if you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard this passage talked about, and you're probably familiar with the fruit of the Spirit. I think oftentimes when this passage is talked about, it's just kind of held up as some kind of standard that every Christian should be reaching. And it's kind of like, if you aren't excelling in all of those things, then there's some things you really got to work on. So you better go home and work on that. Like if you're not loving people the way you should be loving them, try harder to love. And if you're struggling in self-control, then work harder with your self-control. But if that's our approach to this passage and trying to do things in our own strength, then we're missing the point of what the Bible says here. Because this isn't the fruit of our own strength. This isn't the fruit of our own efforts. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And if we're leaving the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit out of this whole equation, and we're just trying in our own strength, then at best, I think all we're doing is polishing fruit. It's just surface level because we're not looking to the source of that fruit. And that source is the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. So what does that mean for us? Does that mean we can just kind of sit back and let the Holy Spirit do his thing and we don't even have to like lift a finger or put in any work? Well, let's go ahead and look at these next few verses. It says... 
In verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We already read that verse. And then in verse 25, it says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And that's what it comes down to, is this kind of fruit, love, joy, peace, will be evident in our lives, not by us just being passive, not by us trying harder in our own strength, but when we walk with the Spirit, when we keep in step with the Spirit. And I, I know that this is an idea that can seem a little bit fuzzy. Like, what does it really mean to walk by the Spirit? And so I just want to use the last little bit of time we have now to unpack quickly this idea of walking by the Spirit. Paul talks more about this in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. He says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And this verse comes right at the end of a passage where Paul is telling the group of Christians to put off sin in their lives. And so from the context, we know that we grieve the Holy Spirit of God when we sin and when we live in disobedience. I heard a pastor named James McDonald say something like this, where we can make our enemies angry, we can frustrate our enemies, but we can only grieve those who love us. And the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God and he loves you. But we can grieve him when we act out in disobedience. And I think that disobedience gets in the way of keeping in step with the Spirit. But obedience is so important for walking with the Spirit. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, Paul says, Do not quench the Spirit. And this word quench kind of gives me the mental picture of dumping water on a fire. It's like it puts it out or it restrains it. And I think that this is what we do when we don't live out what God has called us to do. A simple framework I like to think about is we grieve the Spirit of God when we do the things that we shouldn't do, and we quench the Spirit when we don't do the things that we should do. And it's not necessarily a sin to not get connected in a small group. It's not necessarily a sin to skip devotions. It's not necessarily a sin to not pray every day. It's not necessarily a sin to not talk to your coworkers about Jesus. But when we don't do those things that God wants us to do or that he's laid on our hearts, then I think we're restraining the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to work in us and to work through us. And the last verse that I was thinking of when it comes to the Holy Spirit is Ephesians 5.18 where it says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. I just want to focus on this idea of praying in the Spirit. And to be totally honest, I don't know exactly what it means to pray in the Spirit, but I've got just a few ideas of what that could mean based on my experience. In my experience, there's two ways that I pray. One way is kind of like, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this food. Please bless it to our bodies and bless the hands that prepared it. And please help me to honor you today. In Jesus' name, amen. And there's nothing that's necessarily wrong with those words, but it's like I turn on autopilot. And my heart isn't even connected with the words coming out of me. It's just kind of going through this routine. 
But then there's times when I pray where it's like I am really talking to God and I'm focused on who he is, that he is the one who made a way for me to have a relationship with him through his mercy and grace and he's the creator of the universe and he's listening to me and I can talk to him as if he's right there in that room and connect with him. And I don't know for sure, but I wonder if that's what it's like to pray in the spirit And that's not easy. Sometimes that just takes that intentionality of I'm not just going to pray to make my way through a list or that's what I do before a meal, but that focus on connecting with God. I think this is so important for walking with the Spirit in our lives. As we wrap up, I think that all of us would probably fall into one of three camps. Maybe you've been coming to church for a while and you feel like maybe your life is getting a little bit better since you've been coming to church, but you've never really come to that point of believing in Jesus for salvation and coming to that point of repentance and changing your your mind and your attitude about God and about sin and beginning that process of becoming more like Jesus. And if you are in that boat, and I would love for you to just be in tune with maybe what God is doing in your heart and talk to anybody if you have questions about what it means to follow Jesus. I think others of us might be in the boat where you've thought that you were a Christian. You had that moment where you prayed a prayer or the date is written down in your Bible. But if you do an honest examination of your heart, you might see that you haven't really repented, that you've never had that mindset shift, that attitude change that has led to a difference in your behavior. Maybe you don't see the fruit of the Spirit, the result of God working in your life. And it could be that you aren't really saved like you thought you were. My challenge for you would just be to have a conversation with somebody about where you are really at in your walk with God. Some of us, are Christians and we are passionate about following Jesus and maybe there's just some next steps that we need to take in our walk with God and I just want to leave us with the question what fruit of the spirit will you intentionally cultivate this year and maybe if you're honest it's love joy peace or something like that but let's not just apply the try harder approach to having the fruit of the spirit in our lives And I think that we can grow in those areas, and it will take intentionality, but it's that intentionality to walk with the Spirit, to live obedient to Him, to be in tune with His promptings and what God wants for your life, and to pray with Him and invite Him into that process for change. We need the power of God in our lives if we want to become more like Jesus, because we just can't do it in our own strength. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your grace that you made a way for us to have a relationship with you. And we know that it's not by our works, it's not by our strength or anything that we could have a relationship with you. For those of us who have placed our faith in you, we know that it's only because you are the one who worked in our hearts. God, we didn't deserve that, we don't earn that but I want to thank you for it. And I thank you that we don't even have to go through this Christian life and this process of becoming more like Jesus in our own strength. Because even that is impossible. God, we need you. And there's some of us here this morning 
who have tried to do it in our own strength, in our own efforts. Maybe they feel weary and burdened or discouraged with all of those efforts. And I ask that this truth from your word would just give them a sense of peace, like a breath of fresh air and knowing that they are not alone. We don't have to carry this burden on our shoulders of producing results because God Your spirit is the one who produces results in our lives. And so please help us to walk with your spirit and to grow in a thriving relationship with you. Help us to, to have endurance in doing that. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.